we're in an epistemological crisis is basically saying we're in a crisis of knowing what to trust and, and whether we can know anything for sure. And it's, it's, not, it's not a new thing. I mean, I think the last, I don't know, century or so has been this, this steady trajectory of eroding our trust in truth. Welcome to The Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Brett McCracken. Brett serves as a senior editor for the Gospel Coalition and as an elder at Southlands Church in Southern California. He's also the author of The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World from Crossway. Today, Brett and I discuss what it looks like to pursue true wisdom in a noisy and confused age. He highlights the dangers of living in a constantly connected, information-saturated world, explains why the local church, good books, and even nature are crucial for our spiritual health, and makes a critical yet often overlooked distinction between gaining knowledge versus pursuing wisdom. Let's get started. Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Thanks so much, Matt, for having me. So in the opening pages of your new book, uh, you have this great line. Uh, you write, we live in an age when, quote, everyone has a megaphone, but no one has a filter. Mm. And I think we can all think back over the last 12 months or so, and that that line I just think is the perfect descriptor of uh, 2020 and what this year gone by has been. Uh, so I wonder, could you speak a little bit to that? What's been your experience of that dynamic over the last 12 months? Yeah, I mean, man, it's it's a dynamic that was there before 2020, of course, I think. But yeah, I really think this year has exposed um, in a really, um, yeah, just troubling way, just the extent of these dynamics and these problems. And um, the, the, the line you mentioned, everyone has a megaphone, but no one has a filter. Mm. I mean, that's just our day-to-day reality. If you go on social media, <laughs> um, it just feels like you're, it's a barrage, like a suffocating barrage of yelling. And that's the megaphone idea. Like everyone is just yelling about something every hour of every day. There's something to be angry about, something to be raging about. And, and, and social media, of course, invites it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon that um, is incentivized to get people to share their opinions in real time and their emotions in real time and, and uh, without a filter, without the kind of um, the filter of time that is, is so important for our wisdom, right? Mm. The, the instant reaction propensity of our age to kind of just share what's on your mind immediately is, is so not um, conducive to wisdom. And we're so much better off when we, as uh, the Bible says in the book of James, slow to speak, quicker to listen. So yeah, all, all the dynamics of the internet age and social media work against that, that, that Bible verse, I feel like. Mm. So the dynamics are were there before 2020, but have been amplified um, extremely uh, in this year with the pandemic and all the opinions about that and the racial justice and all the opinions about that and politics, of course. 
if we only had the election this year, it would be <laughs> it would be enough. But there was there was an election and a whole lot more. So yeah, well, let's speak to that a little bit. Unpack that more. Um, you say that some of these dynamics were present before uh, 2020, and we've mm-hmm. I think we all have a little bit of a sense of that. Social media, in particular, has has long been a place that you know has been seen to amplify echo chambers and kind of just uh, perpetuate anger online and, and what have you. Um, but are there ways in which you think the last 12 months or so with the pandemic and all the other things that have happened, have they introduced anything, I don't know, fundamentally new, do you think? Or is it really just exaggerating what was already there? Um, I think like anything in life, um, the worst elements of something are brought out in times of stress. So I think part of it is the stress of 2020 has made existing problems all that much worse because because we're all just you know we're not at our best. So if if we were previously tempted to you know be angry and um, raging online about things that angered us, like in 2020 we're even more so because we're locked up in our homes and we were cut off from community and. Um, it's just not not been a fun year, so everyone's a bit more angry, I think, than normal, and um, everyone's a little more short-tempered than normal. So those things have have made it the the dynamics even worse. Yeah, it makes me think of your first book with Crossway, uh, Uncomfortable, and the subtitle was was great: the awkward and essential challenge of Christian community, and and just how one of the things that I think you were emphasizing in that book is that. Sometimes some of the things that make you know life in the local church and actually being together with those fellow Christians in the context of a local church, uh, some some of the things that can make it so hard, yeah. the disagreements and the rubbing shoulders the wrong way a little bit at times, and just the different styles and tastes and opinions that can come out uh, in that context is actually some of the, the most important uh, stuff for us. It helps keep us um, kind of uh, thinking the right way. Whereas online community, which we've all been pursuing vigorously uh, as churches even, uh, is, is sort of doesn't have that component the same. How, how would you explain the difference there? Yeah, no, it's, I think you're right uh, to connect uncomfortable to what I'm talking about here because the whole point of that book, or one of the big points was to show that the same thing that makes church awkward and hard this kind of uh, diverse amalgamation of people from all walks of life, backgrounds, political persuasion, ethnicity, like the, that makes church messy and hard and, um, and counterintuitive. And in, 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 a, in a consumeristic age, it's very counterintuitive to, to opt into some, something like that mm. that's going to be messy and uncomfortable. But that's exactly what makes it so healthy for us because it stretches us outside of our our little bubbles and our our biases and our inclinations and proclivities that we sometimes can't see when we're left just to ourselves. And uh, so, a community of people who are different and who um, who are um, invested in growing each other and kind of stretching each other in the direction of holiness and Christlikeness. Um, it's 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 made all the more effective because of the the diversity that's uncomfortable in that community but in in the online communities because the whole system is set up to cater to you and your individual 
tastes and preferences where it's super easy to just kind of curate your own feeds and your own, um, you know, <laughs> voices that are speaking into your online experience, even the media outlets that you prefer. You know, everyone is just conditioned to kind of like um, start to develop a media environment that is full of voices that agree with you already and kind of affirm you in your existing um, beliefs and to, to kind of delete or unfollow the, the voices that don't. And when that starts happening in a widespread way across society, um, bad things occur. Mm. <laughs> and we're seeing it in our, in our world today, the, you know, the rise of um, this weird reality where no two of us in a very real sense experiences the same reality the same version of reality based on the the differences in how we receive um, reality through media um, so that the documentary the social dilemma really gets into this in a helpful way kind of unpacking the social media algorithms and all that so i would recommend that yeah i'll come back to that in a little bit and kind of talk about that documentary and how mm -hmm. uh, how uh, interesting it was in revealing some of these things that are happening in ways that we can't even perceive, but but maybe let's speak a little bit more too about um, something you've been talking about already. This uh, epistemological crisis that we're that we're working through right now. So uh, that's a big word. Uh, unpack that word. What does that mean? What is this epistemological crisis? And um, is there something about our moment right now and the world in which we live in, the situation that we're in right now, that is mm -hmm. uh, making it worse than it was before? Yeah. Um... Absolutely. So the the word is a big word, but for those for, for those of you who remember philosophy one hundred and one in college, it's essentially the all, all five of you, all five of you. Yeah, I took a grad school course in epistemology, so maybe I'm a little too <laughs> familiar with the word. But it's it's basically the study of how we know things, like how we come to knowledge and truth, and um, and so it's we're in an epistemological crisis. Is basically saying we're in a crisis of knowing what to trust and, and whether we can know anything for sure. And it's, it's not, it's not a new thing. I mean, I think the last, I don't know, a century or so has been this, this steady trajectory of eroding, um, eroding our trust in truth. And I talk about in the book, the time magazine cover that recently um, the headline was is truth dead question mark mm. and they designed the cover in a way to like exactly mimic a, another time magazine cover from 50 years before that had the question is god dead so two covers two questions both three word questions separated by a half century but um, the one follows the other, right? So once society started um, questioning God and the existence of God, uh, then all the foundations of truth started to crumble. If there's no transcendent um, standard for truth, then how can you have any truth? So it shouldn't be surprising that 50 years after, is God dead was the question. Now the question is, is truth dead? Hmm. And so there's there's the bigger kind of philosophical trajectory that is at play here uh, that has led to the epistemological crisis. But then there's the technological dynamic, which I really hone in on in, in the Wisdom Pyramid. 
And that's what I think has really uh, accelerated this crisis. Um, and we can talk about some of the specific dynamics there, but um, it's basically like in, in, a internet, in an internet age where there's so much information out there, um, just like we were just talking about with the echo chambers, it can be, it can be easy to just find the quote-unquote truth that you want to find online. For whatever belief you have, for whatever theory you have, whether it's about COVID, the pandemic, or, you know, the election, was it stolen, was it, you know, <laughs> was there a conspiracy there? For whatever you want to believe, um, you can find, you know, quote-unquote facts online. And so by virtue of the unlimited, unlimited space, unlimited information of the internet era, um, you can start to build an entire reality of your own making. And, and, and so we see it in, in the way that we have debates and arguments in today's world. Everyone comes to their debates with their own set of um, what, what we call facts. And, and if your facts conflict with my facts, we just call them alternative facts. Those are your facts. Mm. These are my facts. And so it's no wonder that we're kind of at an impasse in some of these debates in our culture, you know, whether it's about race or um, politics or even something like COVID-19. Um, and I've written recently at the Gospel Coalition about specific dynamics in the COVID-19 era that we see with information and epistemology and and how um, none of us really trust any, mm -hmm. anyone. <laughs> I mean, it's it's become really hard to know who to trust. Even the most authoritative figures um, who are the experts, um, supposedly, um, they've been wrong a lot in, in the pandemic. And um, so why, why should we believe what they're saying about um, different aspects of the pandemic? Yeah. So anyway, th those are some of the things I'm getting at with the epistemological crisis. Hmm. Well, and, and so far we've been mostly talking about sort of the the online, the media, and kind of the 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 information that we're consuming from those realms, and and, and some of the challenges that we've been discussing maybe underscore even the bigger picture of what you're trying to do in your new book, which is to help kind of establish a a food pyramid-like scheme for us to think about uh, what information we're consuming, where we're seeking to get wisdom in our lives. And, and how the media there, there's a reason, or maybe you could unpack that, uh, there's a reason you stuck uh, kind of the internet and media at the very top of the pyramid, mm -hmm. which is, is actually the, the smallest portion that we should be healthily ingesting. <laughs> so mm -hmm. un unpack that a little bit. Well, maybe first, why, why a food pyramid? Why that idea? Uh, and then um, walk us through the different, uh, the different levels of that pyramid. Yeah, so the, um, the food pyramid um, idea... Um, came about because I was giving a conference presentation a few years ago on fake news and um, and how to be wise in an era of fake news and kind of um, di you know just untrustworthy information online. So I just created this wisdom pyramid graphic, borrowing from the food pyramid as a visual aid because what I my argument in my talk was that we need to have better habits of knowledge intake. Um, so just like Physically, we are healthier when we have a um, a, a more um, thoughtful, intentional diet of you know um, food that are that it's conducive to health. The same is true for our wisdom. If if we're 
if we're unintentional and just kind of passive about what we take in, um, then we're probably going to gravitate towards the junk food and towards the unhealthy uh, sources of information. And that's, that's going to make us sick. And it is making us sick. We're, we're all feeling the sickness of, of not having paid enough attention to the, the diet, so to speak, um, of information that we take in. So I, it, for me, it really does boil down to um, you know, what we take in in our, in our minds and our hearts and our souls shapes us. It shapes um, the people that we become and uh, it can make us foolish or it can make us wise. And I, I, I've seen it, and you've probably seen it. We've all seen people in our circles who have sadly become um, more foolish by the kind of indiscriminate habits of um, what they listen to, what they read, what they watch. Mm. You, you think there's more to it than even just you know, not thinking carefully about what we're consuming, you know, maybe picking up on the food, the, the food pyramid idea, you know, that, that top, the top of the pyramid uh, just happens to be very unhealthy and, da- and, you know, damaging to us if consumed in large quantities, right. the sugars and the fats, right. but they also happen to taste delicious, right? <laughs> right. They're so yeah. Yeah. appealing and they, they, they just are so satisfying in the moment. Do you think there's something to that as well with what you're getting at that like uh, the media online type of stuff is in some way more delicious to us? No, for sure. And and I made that connection intentionally with the, the internet and social media is in the place where where fats, oils, and sweets were in the food pyramid. <laughs> uh, because it because social media particularly really is like candy. It's like it's it's like chocolate. It's like an addiction. Um, and it's created to be that. Um, the the makers of these social media platforms have been honest about the fact that they've They've built these algorithms. They've built these um, platforms with, with the push notifications and the the little ways that they kind of get you know they hit us for dopamine hits and you know they keep us coming back, and they keep us on the platform in the same way that um, a candy store or a bakery that you know wafts the the smells of like chocolate croissants out into the street, or donuts <laughs> or whatever like keeps people coming coming in. Um, so it's a, it's a very similar um, situation with the internet and social media. So we we spend so much of our time there um, for a reason because it's addictive, and um, and so if we're not aware of that and intentional about kind of scaling back our consumption of that, knowing how addictive it is, um, then we're going to be in trouble. Yeah. So walk us down the pyramid. Then what's that next level underneath the social media and the internet? Yeah, so um, I think the next one I have down is beauty, and um, and some of these some of these categories, you know, are a little arbitrary in terms of where I place them. Um, they could be switched around, perhaps. Um, so it's not like a scientific, um, you know, this is the right answer for for how these categories should be prioritized. Um, although once we get to the base layer, I think that's kind of not in dispute. We can talk about that one. But yeah, beauty, um, so as a category of knowledge, um, what I call beauty basically includes the arts and um, culture and um, just things that, um, you know, things like movies, things like novels, things like music, um, that's, that's actually helpful for our wisdom. And um, if, if you're 
if you live a life that's only that only thinks of wisdom in terms of like facts and like data, um, you're not going to be become wise. Um, and we we see this in in the way God reveals Himself to us in Scripture, right? Like God didn't just reveal Himself with a two thousand page book of bullet points with like here are the takeaway lessons, <laughs> right? A big outline. A big outline. He he no he did it through the forms of beauty, right? Liter literary devices, poetry, um, story. The Bible is a story with characters and and ups and downs and drama. Um, and so that alone shows us, I think, that that God values the the wisdom that can be gleaned from from beauty. It, beauty helps truth sink in. Um, I think in in a way that just kind of memorizing facts doesn't. Um, not that there isn't a place for that, but um, I think that beauty should be part of our wisdom diet. Um, for that reason, it kind of it it makes truth stick in some ways. That's why. You know, we often teach our kids uh, in Sunday school through songs. It's why we we use beauty to kind of convey truth. Um, and then I also think that beauty slows us down in a really fast-paced, hectic age that we're so utilitarian and we want to fill every moment of our day with something useful. Um, and beauty is, I think, by definition, a little more superfluous it's not there isn't an immediate kind of pragmatic use for it but that's why it's important i mean beauty is closely tied to sabbath for that reason i think for the same reason why god created the sabbath for us to to breathe and rest and not work it's a, it's the same reason why he created hundreds of thousands of species of flowers in the world and and the the beauty of a sunset like these are things that didn't have to be um, they don't serve a utilitarian purpose you know arguably um, but but they they're there because God values abundance and um, anyway so that's the beauty category it was a it was a fun one for me to write about in the book because it's near and dear to my heart well, I was going to ask about that too uh, maybe some of our listeners would know that you. Uh, will occasionally write uh, movie reviews for the Gospel Coalition mm -hmm. where you work. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things to read that, that you write on a fairly regular basis, just kind of see how you draw out these elements of beauty and truth uh, from stories and films. And um, it, is that something, though, that you still have it fairly high up on the pyramid? So is there, is there a danger still with that category of overconsumption? Yeah, so there's there's dangers in a lot of the categories of the wisdom pyramid if if we if we make them kind of the sole source of wisdom or to or imbue them with too much um, significance um, and also with with beauty. I think I the reason I put it kind of high up in the pyramid in one of the less kind of crucial places is is because. Um, there's just a lot of there's a lot more room I think for truth to be twisted in in unhelpful ways and hmm. I mean I I live and work in the area of the arts I'm I, I'm the arts and culture editor for the Gospel Coalition and I know from experience that a lot of um, a lot of people in the arts artists can can often be tempted into kind of um, unhealthy ambiguity yeah. when it comes to theology and truth and 
and um, what starts as a good thing, this kind of curiosity and asking questions and wrestling with the complexities of life can almost become an unhealthy fixation so that they don't have any room for like um, solid, um, un indisputable truth and everything in life becomes up for grabs in the name of art, in the name of, uh, you know, authenticity, authenticity and just the, the complexity of life. So um, I love art and I love that it wrestles with life's complexities, but I also think that we can go wrong when we take that too far in, in the extreme. So hmm. that's one of the reasons why I, I, there's kind of an asterisk of, of concern with, with beauty as a source of wisdom. Yeah. So then the next category you have below that is books. And, and obviously there's probably some overlap between some of these categories, but why, mm -hmm. why books in particular? That might be a little bit surprising that you would call out almost a form, a format uh, uh, in particular. Yeah, and it really, a lot of it does boil down to the format of books um, being, I think, um, super helpful to, to kind of counter the, the kind of quick, piecemeal, like bite-sized uh, way that we process information in the online world where we kind of, we go from like one tweet to another tweet. Like we, we scan like a paragraph of an article and we don't really process it. And then we move on to something else and we watch a YouTube clip and it's just this very frenetic pace of information intake. And I don't think it's super conducive to wisdom the thing with books is that if you really give yourself to a book, and sadly it's becoming harder and harder to, to read books, um, and there's research showing this, that the, the way that the internet is re rewiring our brains is actually making it harder to focus um, with, with something like a book. And I, I experienced it in my own life. But if we commit to reading books, it helps us to think better. It helps us to really learn how to process like the complexity of ideas and and to go deep in in one um, topic or one uh, subject matter in an era where we kind of go um, superficial in a lot of things by virtue of the our habits online so the form of a book I think is, is conducive to wisdom it also develops empathy it, it helps us to learn how to listen well to someone else so if you I talk about, I encourage people to read books um, who are written by people who are different from you and who maybe don't come from the exact same perspective as you do on a particular issue. And if you, if you have the discipline to read a book by someone like that on a topic that maybe you, you have a different sort of perspective on, uh, it's going to serve you well in terms of your wisdom because you'll really get, you'll learn how to understand the other side of an argument. And um, if you spend you know, several days or weeks with a, an author as you read through their book, um, it humanizes them, even if they might be mm. kind of the, in, the enemy in the language of the culture wars. If you, if you listen to the, their perspective, it's, I think it'll be helpful. So I really encourage in that chapter on books, just reading diversely, reading books of various genres, and, um, and particularly uh, reading older books. Yeah. Well, and that maybe is a nice segue into the next level of the pyramid, which is maybe the perfect, uh, one of the, the best places to pursue that unmediated space that we often need, and that's nature. Uh, why, did, why did you put nature in this pyramid? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, this was one of the like most enjoyable chapters for me to write because I think it's surprising to some people to think about like nature as a source of wisdom. Um, but my rationale for putting it in a pretty prominent position on the wisdom pyramid um, is basically that um, it's God's creation, right? He, if, if God is the source of wisdom and the most important, um, you know, if the, the, the Bible is the foundation of the pyramid, and we'll get to that soon, but um, if, if the Bible is the most important source of wisdom because it is God's direct revelation to us of himself, then his creation, the general revelation of himself through what he has made, um, is also a source of wisdom for the, for the reason that it's, it's him. It's, uh, it connects us to him. We can learn things about him. Um, and, and by doing so, we, we, learn, um, we learn a little bit more about what it means to be wise. Um, so there's that aspect of it. There's, there's the kind of um, the space aspect, having mental kind of spiritual breathing room um, outside of the hectic pace of our, our digital world. And um, there's, uh, there's interesting studies that I talk about in the book writ um, written by secular like writers and, and scientists that, that show the, um, the, the healing power of being in nature for, for all these mental um, issues, right? Mental illness is on the rise in our, in our world. And I think that there probably are some correlations with technology and how much time we spend um, with technology. And so to be unplugged and to be kind of in our, um, in, in our proper place in nature, like as creatures, as part of creation, um, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And, um, and yeah, I think nature also offers us really healthy perspective. So in, in a world that tends to make, make us start to think that we are the center of the universe, and uh, certainly technology um, amplifies that, because it allows us to have total control over the world that we make and the reality that we build. It's called an iPhone for a reason. The focus is on me, I. Nature um, doesn't allow for that. Mm. You go out in nature, you go to the Grand Canyon, you look at how vast it is, you're reminded of how small you are. You know, look up at the stars and you, you realize this universe isn't about me. It doesn't revolve around me. I'm a small part in it. Um, things like the weather, like it, the weather is what it is. It's either snowing or it's not. You can't control it. It doesn't have an opinion, you know. A rainstorm doesn't have an opinion about, you know, who won the 2020 election, um, <laughs> mm. even though some people might interpret, uh, you know, a clap of thunder being God's approval or disapproval of something. <laughs> um, the weather also doesn't care about our opinions. You that's know, right, can, right. It is what it is. We want to be different. Yeah. I think I write in the book, like, it is what it is, not what we want it to be. And um, I think there's so much value in things that we don't have a control over. We can't kind of make it just, like, shift to fit us. Um, although we're seeing attempts at that with nature, right? Like, people are trying to, um, you know, morph, you know, gender into whatever they want it to be or biology. Um, and uh, so... Mankind is always trying to like take mastery over um, nature, but um, it's a hard thing to do. So hmm, yeah, and then the last two levels, the kind of two foundational levels, uh, are, are the church mm -hmm. and the Bible. 
And we've kind of talked a little bit about the church and, and the value of community for helping us. So maybe speak a little bit to the Bible. Why did you put that at the very bottom? It maybe feels a little bit obvious or expected to a Christian listening right now, but but what do you mean by that, and why might that be uh, more important or more uh, probably confronting to us than we might expect? Yeah, it does kind of feel like the the kind of eat your broccoli um, part of the <laughs> wisdom pyramid. Like we all kind of know that it's the most important source of wisdom, um, but it's hard, right? It's hard to prioritize it, and I'm honest about that in the book, and I think that we we can we have to be honest about the fact that the Bible, for as valuable as it is, is it's a very countercultural document to to for a 21st century person in the digital age to be prioritizing reading on a regular daily basis. It's it's a collection of writings from the ancient Near East and a, a culture and a language far from us. It's hard to understand. It's yeah. It's 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 a challenge, um, and yet it's a challenge that is um, essential. It's it's vital because it is God's direct revelation to us, and um, nothing else in the world, no other information, no other knowledge, no other source is infallible. Um, so the Bible is something solid and um, it's so important in a world that feels shaky and where everything is up for grabs and there's no there's no one to kind of adjudicate the question of like what is true so to go back to the whole epistemological crisis idea where we don't even know what to trust like the bible is such a gift to us because it's it declares itself as as something that you can trust. It is mm. it is God's word. He is God. He is the source of all wisdom. He is wisdom incarnate. So his words to us are something that we can take to the bank in, in a way that we can't with anything else. Um, and so it's it's valuable not only for what we find in the Bible um, when we read it, but also as kind of the the standard by which we can measure the trustworthiness of, of everything else. So it kind of, it functions in that base layer of the wisdom pyramid, um, not only as kind of the logical sturdy foundation for wisdom, but, but also kind of the, um, the thing that keeps the, the upper layers in check. It, it's the, it keeps the scaffolding with all the other categories um, secure because we, we know that if there's if there's some aspect of a book that we read that we're not quite sure whether it's wisdom that we should glean, um, we sh- we can check that against. Well, what does Scripture say about this? And based on what we know from Scripture about this topic, should I, you know, how can I think well about this book? Um, same thing with beauty. You know, if there's a a movie that you see that's you know beautiful. Um, but there's some aspects of it that you, you're not quite sure about. Um, the Bible provides us that grid um, f- to evaluate the, the relative wisdom of everything else. Um, and so to me, that's freedom because it gives us, it, it should give Christians the freedom to explore and to, to kind of dive into all these other categories, um, the arts and, and culture and science and nature and books of every sort, fiction, nonfiction, 
it should give us the freedom to do that because we know that at the end of the day, um, we don't have to agree with everything we find in those places, and we probably shouldn't. But the Bible gives us that um, that evaluative grid to know what is what 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 can we call true and good and beautiful, and and what can we kind of um, ignore or or say isn't helpful. Mm, yeah. You know, I'm struck as I, even right now, I'm looking at a, a graphic of the pyramid here. And, you know, you've kind of laid out why you order things in the way you did and, and proportionally why, you know, that Bible, that foundation layer, everyone listening can kind of imagine it. It's obviously the, the biggest layer. And, I, you know, we're not necessarily taking these proportions in the graphic to be exactly what you're prescribing necessarily. Right. But I am struck that you know, as I think about even my own life, and I wonder if many, many people would probably, uh, if they were being honest, say something similar, you know, if that's the ideal, the reality feels like it's almost often the complete opposite, right. you know, flipped. like yeah. it's completely flipped, um, where, you know, our consumption of the internet and social media is probably so huge yeah. relative to how much time we're spending in the Bible or in Christian community and um, speak to that a little bit. Is that something that you've found to be true in your own life? And how realistic is this, I guess? Yeah, I mean, that is the, the response that I get like most often when people see that graphic of the pyramid. The kind of gut reaction that people have is like, whoa, like we have flipped it. And, and I think all of us, like, are, if we're honest, would say, yeah, we, we flipped it. The, in terms of like time spent in our day, um, we do probably spend the most time online and on social media than any of these other categories. So, um, yeah, I think the, the kind of the shock value of that gut check is part of the point of the pyramid. Um, it's, it, it's more to, to get people aware of that problem, how we flip the priorities, than it is uh, a kind of scientific prescription of like, you have to have 10 portions of Bible each day and eight <laughs> portions of church. Like, it, it doesn't translate into kind of a, um, a precise allocation of your time has to go to these things. Like in reality, like I don't know how realistic it is to say that in, in any given day you're going to spend the most time in the Bible. I don't think that that's yeah. probably going to happen. It's more about the big picture place that it occupies in your life. Um, is your life characterized by the visual of the pyramid where the Bible is the most important source of truth for you, where it, it's the standard by which you measure everything else, where all of your decisions are kind of filtered through it, and in, in terms of w where your heart gravitates toward, um, is it, are you more likely to go to social media to kind of fill your heart's longings, you know, whether it's for approval or attention or whatever, entertainment? Um, are, you more, are you more drawn to that than you are to God's word? Um, so those are kind of the bigger questions that I want people to ask. It's it's not a um, a diet where I'm prescribing like you have to like eat this many servings of each category. Um, <laughs> it's going to look different um, for for each person and and on on any given day or week, um, we go through seasons where you know maybe um, we'll we'll have a lot of um, time to be outdoors and, and maybe we're on a vacation in a national park so the nature part of the wisdom pyramid will be like a really like helpful part of our diet during that season or maybe you know you're on 
you know, a day off of work and you get to like finish reading a book. And so like books becomes a big part of your day for that. Um, so it's really, um, it's going to be kind of a fluid thing, but um, I just, I, I want it to be a, a big picture wake up call for people to, to just pay more attention to um, what makes up their, their diet, what constitutes their, their diet of information in a world where there's a lot of toxic, unhelpful stuff out there. Um, we, we need to be more wise and more intentional than ever in, in where we look and, and what we're spending our time um, attending to. Well, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And yeah, give us that reminder to be more intentional about uh, what we're consuming, what we're paying attention to, what we're giving our limited attention to uh, each and every day. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Matt. That was Brett McCracken on pursuing true wisdom in a noisy and confused world. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.